listening to the JMCC Scientist in the Spotlight podcast. My name is Kate Weeks, and today I'm joined by Dr. Lily Wang, a research instructor at Vanderbilt Center for Arrhythmia Research and Therapeutics. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, so Lily, you recently published an article in the JMCC, which was selected as the Editor's Choice article for December last year. Can you tell me a bit about the paper? What was your overall aim and, and your key findings? Thank you for the GMCC just uh, giving us this great opportunities to um, show our work. So this paper, actually, we just uh, used steroid uh, hormone and the dexmexone to treat IPS, uh, IPS draft as a cardiomyocyte and to improve their maturations. So we find that after 14 days, the hormone treatment, the T3 and the dexmexone treatment, um, the, the inactual physical energy properties of IPS cells significantly improved. So like the, the most important is potassium channel significantly improved. So I think this will be, um, will be the good for the future studies, especially to model human disease in the visual and also do the drug screening. Great, thank you for that. So is the idea that you like would you recommend that people treat their cells with with this t3 and dexamethasone treatment to make them a more mature cardiomyocyte prior to yes. doing any of their studies yes so yeah um the, after this treatment this cell gets more matured so they more just uh, like represent the human myocyte. So when people do the disease modeling and the drug screening they can just uh, get more um not accurate, more the answer more close to human, what really happened in the human, and the, will this drug be infected to the to the patient? Great. And in, in your paper, I noticed that you did some RNA-seq um, to look at transcriptional changes that occur in the cardiomyocytes when you treat them with T3 and with dexamethasone. Um, and yes. you saw that there was upregulation of thyroid receptors and um, SGK, uh, which is mm. important for potassium channel trafficking. So, I mean, you, you focus on potassium channels in the paper, but was there anything else that popped out of that data set um, that might explain why the cells are more mature or is it entirely via the effects on, on potassium channels? Um, so for uh, we, uh, we did not do the other studies just to see how this T3 and the DEX uh, affect the potassium channel expression on the membrane. So, but like um, a lot of the previous studies have uh, already shown like how T3 regulates the expression of the potassium channels on the membrane and how the DEX maximum affects the, 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 the protein trafficking to the membranes. Uh, so we, we think that uh, increase the, the, the steroid hormone receptor and uh, the SJK expression that just drives um, the more potassium expressed on the membrane. Fantastic. Thank you. As someone who has always used rat cardiomyocytes, either neonatal or adult, I'm, I'm trying to branch into iPSC-derived cardiomyocytes, so I will definitely keep your paper as a, as a reference. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So, so if you're listening and you want to read more about, about Lily's study, go to the JMCC website and click on the Editor's Choice Archive. Uh, and because it's an Editor's Choice article, it is open access, so you should be able to, to access it. So 
jump online and have a read of Lily's article. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so let's talk about you. Uh, so you, you did your Bachelor of Science and Masters in China. Um, and we had a brief discussion just before the, the interview about your master's thesis, which was in diabetes research, yeah. I believe. Yeah. So then you made the switch to cardiovascular biology um, when you started your PhD, uh, which was at Auburn University. So tell me a bit about your experience moving from China to the US. Um, so, yeah. Um, when I did the, the last year of my master's degree, my PhD mentor came to China and uh, gave us a talk. I feel I was really interested in his project. It's like, see how the, uh, the heart failure, like um, what driving the heart failure, like value over the heart failures, heart disease. So I just uh, told him like, hey, can I apply your PhD student? Yeah, luckily, I got into that program. So um, moving from China to US is uh, was a quite a challenge for me because speaking the ways we speak the different languages. English is like is like the second language for me. And also the writing, everything is so different. I was no friends and here in the first year. So that's quite a challenge, but thanks for my PhD mentor. And uh, so he helped me a lot just to get through this culture shock things. What, what were some of the things that uh, surprised you when you moved to the US? Was there anything that you went, oh, that's really different to how we do things back home? The surprising thing is like Auburn is a really small kind of the town and I grew up in the big city. So that's just a kind of the different, big difference for me. And the kind in US, everyone just drives the, drive the cars. And in China, I just use the public transportation to everywhere. So that's the that was a second challenge for me to learn how to drive the, on, on the road. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I moved countries uh, to do a postdoc, but I was going from Australia to the UK. And to be honest, like apart from, you know, Australians prefer Vegemite over Marmite, but culturally we're, we're pretty similar, have a lot in common. So um, it, it wasn't too challenging, but I can imagine moving from China to the US and from a, a country with a different language would be incredibly challenging. Uh, in so many ways. And I don't know how you do science in a second language. I, I can't imagine having to do that. So props to you. It's, uh, yeah, really, really impressive. So tell me, in your current position, so you're now a, a postdoc in Bjorn Norman's lab at Vanderbilt University. Yeah. Um, how, how did that come about? When, when did you start looking for postdoc positions and, and how did you approach uh, Professor Norman? Uh, so I started uh, um, looking for the postdoc position as like and, and maybe maybe six months before my graduation. So I I just uh, like look a lot of the, the the professors just online just to see like their programs uh, was fit to my um, research interest and. Uh, 
Um, so I contact Dr. Norman just for this. They am really interested in the calcium kind of induced cardiarrhythmia. And can I just apply your postal position? So I talked to Dr. Norman first online just to like see, um, he gave me a the brief introduction, what he did in his lab and what my research interest. And secondly, he just invited me to visit his lab and talk to the postdoc in the lab. And so he just say like, I'm really interested in these things. So I just came to the Nashville and talked to everyone. I feel like Vetterbuild is a really great environment to do the research. And also I like the lab. I just, uh, accepted Dr. Onoma's offer and joined his lab. Tell me, how did COVID impact the lab? I've heard stories from the US of labs doing shift work and some people having to work through the night. Is, is that what you guys did to get through the COVID pandemic? Uh, so the COVID pandemics, like the in 2019, people just uh, in, in our lab, people just are working in the different time point because we have the social distance requirement. And uh, every every lab space only allow one or two people stay in. So my colleagues and I, we, we cannot meet in the lab at the same, same time. We usually just send an email or text or call. I feel like this is really effective because sometimes you want to talk to people. For example, how's your IPS cells going? How's your cardiac differentiation going? Have this kind of the communication. You can know something wrong in, on your side or on your colleague's side. But fortunately, now everything seems like goes better and we came back to the lab and we work at the same time as before. But the lab supply is our kind of the, the things is, everything is out of the stock. The pipette tips, our lab managers spend a lot of time to find these pipette tips. Mm -hmm. And also a lot of the ingredients for our research, like the cardiac differentiation, we need a lot of the B27 minus insulin and the thermal now is out of the stock. We have to wait, we have no choice. Um, so that is really bad for us. And second, uh, thirdly, is national meeting is already just uh, get canceled. So yes. I feel like this is hard for me because sometimes I don't know how to talk to people online just uh, like through this kind of the Zoom or other programs. I feel like I'm, it's more comfortable for me just to go out and talk to people in person. So, mm -hmm. and see their poster and ask them several questions. But the national meeting got canceled, so we did not have this kind of the chance. Fortunately, this year, the biophysics and uh, a lot of the meeting come back to the real meeting. So hopefully we will have more chance to talk to people in person. Yes, those face-to-face -face interactions at meetings, but also just those informal interactions in the lab are just so important, aren't they? For sure. So I wanted to ask you, what is the best thing about being a scientist? And what's the hardest thing? In general, not just during COVID. <laughs> best sense is like you can test your hypothesis by your so you can generate a, a working hypothesis and test it by yourself if your hypothesis is correct you i feel so excited that is like my 
I feel like that is my achievement. <laughs> and uh, you know, the hardest thing is if your working hypothesis is not correct, mm -hmm. and you should say, oh, why, why is this thing driving to, to this way? You need to think about other kind of as either other signaling pathway or other kind of the things to prove that that is the hardest thing so you always get failed so many times and then get the i'm not sure is the correct answer or is like the thing the way you are thinking about mm -hmm. and just to finish up um do you do you have any advice for younger researchers who are embarking on their research careers or so undergraduate students who are thinking of postgraduate study or maybe a PhD student who's starting to look for a postdoc? For postdoc, I feel like, um, like my mentor always say, uh, do something you really wanted to do. So like Dr. Norman always tell us, every morning when you wake up and you're, you should be so excited to say, yeah, today I want to go in the lab and doing this, this work and just like do this research, not do something you don't like to just wake up and say, oh, it's so bad. I need to go, go into the lab and doing the research. So he always tell us like doing something you want to do. So you always have energy to, to do these things and you have the passion to looking for the answer. I think that's, that's one of the things I like about science as well is that you can choose if you want to be at the lab bench that day or if you want to be at your computer doing analysis or if you want to be writing up some results or whatever it is. It's, there are so many aspects to it and you can choose what is the most important thing to be working on that day, but also what are the things that you do really enjoy doing? Is it the data analysis or getting your hands dirty in the lab or the writing? So, um, hmm, fantastic. Well, it's been very nice to get to know you. Thank you so much. And congratulations again on having your article selected as the editor's choice. Thank you, Kate.